Good morning, everybody. Or I guess it's not morning, is it? Well, I guess it's the afternoon or start of the afternoon. Um, welcome back to Friday Live. Um, okay, I'm running the podcast again today, mechanically. So if I seem like I'm not attentive, it's not that <laughs> I'm. It's not that I'm not attentive. It's that the older I get, the harder it is to multitask. Tim understands that because he is old. Yeah, and I hope everybody's warm today. That's Man, not it's kind cold. Of brutal. We're living in an RV. It was a it was a fun time last night. It is cold outside. Um, if you're listening to us on, uh, I'm gonna share. I gotta share the podcast to a group. See, Sean usually does all this junk, and he's not here. He's I don't know entertaining family or something crazy like that. <laughs> uh, we got some folks coming in that's staying at his house, so. And Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, it's Christmas time. Already. Um, if you are out there watching, I know I don't know how many people will be online today because it's coming up on Christmas and et cetera like that. Um, I hope you'll be able to comment. And if I get doing this, you have to jump in and say stuff. Oh. We can't just have dead air because you're staring at me doing computer stuff. Well, in the professional world, that's called dead space. Yeah, and we don't usually mind dead space, but I know that you guys will go watch a YouTube video or something that's funny if we don't start talking. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you're out there, you're watching, give us a comment in the in the in the comments. You know, write something, let us know you're out there, and but even more than that, if you could uh, share the share the podcast, share it on your Facebook or whatever. But uh, today we're going to talk about something. That I think is extremely interesting. Tim came up with the idea. So if it goes bad, it's all your fault. But I'll take it. But uh, one of the things that we do constantly, we might want to talk about this a little bit before we jump in, is we're always talking about and encouraging people to to look into the face of God and not yeah. into the the worldly structures. And what is it that God's actually doing? And I don't, I don't necessarily mean what is it that God's doing right in this moment, although that applies, but how does he deal with people and situations? How, and that reveals his character and his nature, which helps us know him more, which helps us navigate all the stuff around us. Well, I would tell you on the opposite side of that, we're all trying to figure out how, how we're you? supposed to act and respond. Exactly. And, exactly. you know... Just in a two-dimensional sense, most people start going, you know, you hear the preacher preach and you get all convicted or whatever, and you're going, I'm not right, or I'm no good, or I can't never do it, or, you know, whatever that is. And, or you've come to a point where you just don't care anymore. And uh, so what does that mean? How is God working in that? Is he working in that? How am I supposed to respond to that? Right. Uh and anyway, I was saying in a two-dimensional sense, we just figure we're either doing well or we're not doing well. Right. And I think in a lot of realities, uh, well, not realities like in some mystical thing out there, uh, what's happening is, is God is usually shaking your cage <laughs> and we're trying to measure him based off how we think he's supposed to act or do, if that makes sense. It does. And so... That's why we talk about spending a lot of time in the face of God. And a lot of us start doing that by studying, listening more at church. Uh, not that any of those things are bad. What I'm saying is that's just the normal way we look at it. And 
at least in my walk, as I started really spending time with God, he started attacking, and I'll use that in a good sense, he started attacking everything I thought I knew how it was supposed to work, act, and do. Mm. Even the secret things. And I didn't always know that was happening at the time. And so, uh, kind of going off into the end that we were going in, we seem like sometimes we pick on stuff all the time. Uh, what? Yeah. Uh, I can't think of it. Sometimes it seems like we're just slamming and tearing down we don't approve of anything that's in modern Christianity. And, and that, that's not the case. However, you know, I will say that, you know, one of the, you weren't at home group the other day, but one of the questions we had in home group was, what is it about American Christianity that bothers you? And, and the, the weird thing is, is there really is a thing that is American Christianity, and it's different than, let me rephrase that. There's the American interpretation of Christianity. Well, I would tell you to even ask that question, what are you using for reference? I'm not arguing the right. issue. What I'm saying is, is, well, I assume American Christianity is whatever they're complaining about or whatever they say is right. I know what American Christianity is because I've been in lots of places in the world where right. I've watched other places and denominations and things like that. Uh, so if there is an American way to do it, I have reference in that. Right. Well, and, and, and I think the whole point is, is there are trappings that we have built around what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And there's things we have built. Yeah. And we have defined them as, well, this is what the Lord wants to say. That's what I was saying Wednesday night. Thus saith the Lord, blah, blah, blah. Well, sometimes the Lord doesn't thus say. <laughs> he just tells us something completely different. That's what we want to jump into today is something that we get out of the text. And I promise you it's something that you've heard your whole life if you've been in church. If you're a teacher or leader, you've probably taught it some. Uh, I, I, it's come out of my mouth many times. But oh, yeah. we're gonna, we want to show you uh, today the reason that we drive people into studying the Word and why the studying of the Scriptures is so important to what we do because that, that through the Holy Spirit and, and getting to know the Father is the only way to, to filter through, is this something that is american or whatever or man-made or is it really the nature and the character of god and does it matter yeah you know that's that's really what we're dealing with is how to navigate all of these things that we get wired up about and that we actually use to make decisions um the the context that we're talking about is um god is a god of order i don't have my contacts and I can't read with my glasses because I need bifocals. Well, you can tell me and I'll read it. Read 1 Corinthians 14.33. He's in the New American Standard. Uh, 1 Corinthians... We'll do 32 and 33. 13.32. I think it's a compound. It's a multiple. It kind of is. Well, it's actually in context with the whole thing. but Well, and, and by the way of context, let me just set up the context. Yeah, Paul's writing a letter to the church at Corinth because their worship practices, that's a loaded way to even say it, the practices of living out their faith, which included their corporate worship practices. Maybe that's yeah. a better way to yeah, say it. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Were wonky. They were going kind of off the rails on doing some weird stuff, and he... A lot of the First Corinthians is is a is a rebuke, some mild, some not so mild, of how to to do things and not do things, um, and so because that's the context, 
we have our own overlay that we now put over mm-hmm. that, yeah. and, and, and it's called expectation. David talks all the time about this expectation gap. There's what we expect, and then there's what is true, and we live in the middle and get all disappointed. Yeah. Well, we come to the text with a lot of presuppositions. Yeah. And the presupposition is, is like, oh, well, they were being crazy. He's putting them in line. Therefore, it's completely prescriptive, and everything he says we should do to the letter and then we get to 1 Corinthians 14, 32, and 33, and we have this verse that launches us into what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So, uh, 32. Well, let's start at 31. For you can all prophecy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now the issue with that is, is how many of you have heard that said, taught, what does it say in the King James? Is that what you're looking up? I'm well, actually, I'm looking up the New Living Translation. Um, is that God is a God of order. There you go. So this is the New Living, Trans, New, New Living Translation of that. We're going to tell you what the Greek word is here in just a second. So remember, verse 32, remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. That's how the New Living Translation would translate that. And so specific context is a meeting of people. So that context, that presupposition is correct. Um, but then the specific context within that context is the use of prophecy somebody prophesying in the church now what we also want to do a lot of times is say well because he's talking about using the use of prophecy in the corporate gathering that this is the only thing that you can glean any information on yeah that it doesn't matter but here's what we do we take this idea that it says god is not he is not a god of chaos but of peace and that's been transmogrified into God is a is a God of order. Yeah. And then that gets transliterated into, oh, well, that means that God needs us to have a five-year plan, and he needs us to have all of our I's and T's dotted all the time, or we're not doing worship right. And it also means if you're running around in your head that God is a God of order, you're measuring it the way a human might do that in mathematical functions where everything has to be laying right, or it's not of him. And so if you're having a bad day, or things are going awry, or, or whatever that is, you just you can either judge people and say that, well, what you're doing is not of God, or how you're dealing with it, or you can be telling yourself, I'm messed up, and if, if, I, if I was doing it right, I would be doing it like this or like that guy over there or something like that. What you're really talking about there is, well, there's there's two several layers of problem. I'll, I'll go back to my debate days, and, and if I was debating this topic, man, I would just be, I'd be hacking it to pieces. But you got to pull the layers back of the onion. And, and the, the first of all, when we say God is a God of order, well, that's already got us on the wrong foot. Because the text says in the original Greek, the word. Oh yeah, here you go. Uh, the word. <laughs> uh, let me scroll down here and actually get to it. Um, oh, I'm in the wrong verse. I'm in 23. Let me get to 33. I, I want to say the word correctly. Um, 
it's it's not it the, it's translated in English he's a god of peace. Yeah. Well that's different than order. And so I looked I wanted to look it up and see okay, so what is the actual word that he's using? And is it I expected it to be shalom because that's that idea of Hebrew idea of rhythm and peace and everything is functional. That's what I expected. That's not what it is. Uh, uh, lo and behold, it's a different word, um, and its transliteration is Irene. I'm not sure I'm saying that correctly. Um, Irene, I think, is actually the way it's probably Irene. Um, and, and it's even got a different deal. But here, let me read you some of the definitions of the word. <clears throat> It is a state of national tranquility, an exception from the rage and havoc of war. Okay, so one application would be it's a speaking of your country's at peace, nobody's off at battle, you're just... And everybody's kind of... Everybody's chilling. Everybody's doing well. It's peace between individuals, harmony, accord. Security, safety, prosperity, felicity, because peace and harmony make and keep things safe and prosperous. This is like, to me, this is the golden age kind of a description. It's like, no, everything's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It, it, everything's just, what is it, the Lego movie? Everything is awesome. I mean, that's that's the idea behind this this deal. Um, but then it has an, a, another application of the Messiah's peace. This is the way that leads to peace, to salvation. When it's used of tra- of Christianity, it is, here's the deal. Listen to these next two. The tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fears nothing from God and content with our earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. Whatsoever sort that is. So when when Paul's talking about being content and peaceful, that's this idea. Yeah. And so step one, problem one that we've got in this text is we've taken a passage of Scripture that says, God is not an order, a God of chaos, disorder, which he's speaking to the problems they were having with with each other. Mm -hmm. There was conflict, lack of tranquility, irritation with one another. He says, that's not of God. Walking with God and walking in the Spirit, he is a God of peace and tranquility, of contentment, of things I can't understand being okay with them, whatever my lot is. And so but when we took that and made that into God's a God of order, well, that's not the word that he was, that wasn't even the concept that he was using. Right. So now we've got to superimpose our English word definition for order plus our cultural ideas of order, and that can vary all, other, all over the, the map. And so we've got this text that says God's not a God of chaos and conflict. He's a God of peace and tranquility. And we've now had to convert that into our understanding of logical... Well, what, what is order? Well, so what when you start reading out of the people to discern that, of course God is a God of order uh, in himself, right? Uh you can watch all through the Old and the New Testament that he gets flustered and those kind of things. I'm going to say similar to us, but it's not modeled on us. Yeah. And uh, uh, but he knows where he's going. He knows what he's going to do. He know and he did lay things out in what we would see in order. The way he created the universe. The way he created us. The way he created 
heavens, everything inside of us from a molecular point of view. I mean, it, it is absolute mathematical, perfect order. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, that is who he is. The issue that we're trying to talk about more is, is how we judge ourselves or other people based off whether they're being orderly or not, and is that godly? And so, as we do sometimes, it seems kind of antagonistic because we're pulling, we're pulling stories out of the scripture uh, uh, that may look like it goes counter to what people are laying out there. So, if God is this God of order, then evidently we're expected to be people of order of some sort. Right. Well, and the, the issue really isn't whether or not God is a God of order, because like you just said, he does things in order. The problem we get into is he's the one that decides and defines what order is. And therein lies, lies, the lies the rub. That's right. Because what we do is we build our expectations of how he acts, how he should act in our minds based on our definition of order. And we've even started from a bad position because what we should be starting from is how does God relate and act as a God of peace and tranquility? Because that's what the text is telling us. So we've, we've, we've screwed it up from the get-go when we're not accurately really representing what the text is saying. But even though, all right, let's go to that. Let's just take it at its edge case that order brings tranquility. I mean, I could shoehorn it in somehow. <laughs> but now we've got to decide what order is. And we think we get to do that. Yeah, so... Surely you can walk into somebody's situation. Let's talk, we've been talking about elders and stuff here lately, so let's talk about matured people and you know, counseling or leading or discipling, whatever's going on in that, that, that function. And you can find people that are making dumb decisions and all that kind of stuff and things are going awry. And uh, uh, it happens at work all the time and it happens if you own a company or something like that and you're in charge of people and it's like one day everybody gets stupid. You know, everything starts going wrong and they're doing things they know they shouldn't do. But you could say, yeah, that's not order. That's that's kind of chaos. What what What's happening here? So to get out of the weeds in this, let's look at people's lives in the scriptures, so Old and New Testament. Uh, so if God is a God of order and he only does things that, that lead to a certain place, we presume that we will be able to pick up on that and see it happen too. If you yeah. could do that, you wouldn't really need God. Right. So here's part of the deal. And this is, this is kind of a sanctification deal. So this is you working out your salvation with fear and trembling, so to speak. So the book of Hosea is about a prophet and God tells him, you go and marry this girl, Gomer, who is a known prostitute. Yeah. And I don't mean, well, I was a policeman for a long time, and I dealt with all kinds of street-level prostitutes and other kinds of stuff. So in the end, they were all prostitutes. And I'm not saying that in a judgmental sense. I'm just telling you their function of life. Uh, but most of them, you know, they, they were messed up. Uh, whether they were on drugs or whatever else, because they're doing something that's completely out of created order. That's a whole nother discussion. But that's probably that's part of what rattled them up 
and the way they worked in their lives and the way they thought and the way they did things. So all I'm saying is, is how would a God of an order that we would say, and then we also make excuses for God. So if you take somebody like Hosea that went and married this prostitute, he told him, he said, you go marry this because I want to show my people what they're like with me. Yeah. On the surface, that sounds like a perfectly logical argument. I don't know if that's the right word. But put yourself in that place. You're a God-fearing, proven, godly man. And God has a conversation with you and tells you to go right. <clears throat> marry this woman that's the complete opposite of what you would want in the house of God, from our point of view. That's chaos at its finest. Yeah, well, and, and the... Really, I guess the thing that, that I, I, I want to make sure that we point out in this is God is a God of order in that he moves into our chaos and brings his order to he us. He brings cosmos to us. He brings cosmos to us. Yes. And just like he did in Genesis and creation. The earth yes. is without form and void, and the spirit, the ruach, moves on it, and he brings order into that. But he gets to decide what that order is. And in the story of Hosea, mm. being a prostitute is chaotic, as it were. I mean, in, in the general sense. Yeah, of, and she wasn't like a prostitute. He married her, and she quit being a prostitute. Right. Exactly. She, she kept plying her trades like she couldn't help herself. Well, and, and the fact that God told him to do that seems illogical. It seems disorderly. And it seems like, well, that's just not the way to do things. And we would look at it from our culture and go, you know, now and be like, well, he shouldn't have married her. Yeah. But God told him to. So how do you reconcile those two things? And that's kind of the, the issue that we're dealing with, the right. tension that we're dealing with. Well, in an intellectual sense is where we all kind of fall back to. We can look at that story and go, well, but God knows what he's doing. But in this day and time, it was the same thing like Mary when she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And the angel visits her, and it says that she pondered that on her heart. I think that's what she held on to, because I guarantee you she's out in front of people going, I didn't do anything. Yeah. And they're all going, <laughs> sure, you, sure didn't. you didn't. You're having a baby, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, there's low rumblings all the time, and she's going to synagogue, and it's probably the air changed when she'd walk in the room. Yeah. God wouldn't do something like that to you. Yeah, because that's not orderly. Yeah. You know. And, and I guess part of the thing that I want to keep coming back to is is that we have built an expectation that God will will fall into our definition of what order is. And he almost never does. Yeah. He defines what order is. And the fact that we have built that expectation about him is even built on a false standing. Because what he says is, is, I move in tranquility. I move in contentment with my lot, whatever my lot may be. Yes. And that's different than God moves to bring an order that you will understand and approve of to you. Yeah, so a matured Christian, I would tell you, let's put it in context of, you know, being at the church house, for lack of a better way to say it. If you're a matured Christian, whatever level that is, and you're wrestling with something. So I, I said earlier, God went after everything. Yeah. I, it's not that he purified me of all these things. He brought them to realization where I could see what they really were. 
Paul called them his a thorn in the flesh. It was something he couldn't shake out that he knew was not right, but he, he couldn't get rid of it. And God just flat told him, my grace is sufficient for you. So if you're going to have that, he didn't say, I want you to have that. But I guess you could imply in there that he's going, if I want to take it away, I'll take it away. And if I don't want to take it away, I won't take it away. But you still need to obey and follow what it is that you know I've given you. Right. And not even not not to the point you need to follow what I gave you. He said, "What you know that I've given you—that's the record. That's the mature difference." And so, as you start struggling with things, uh, and he may reach down and pull something out of you that you never even knew was there. I'd love to give you examples of that, but I can't do anything right off the top of my head. But let's say it makes you kind of chaotic. Uh, you're you're you get unstable looking to everybody. I can give you an example. Yeah, go ahead. Um, there have been a couple of times, and, and it was in the context of church, where there was a situation, and whether it was a, a decision that was made or fill in the blank, doesn't matter. There was a situation that got me wrapped around the axle for whatever reason over the time. And in dealing with the situation, what really kind of wound up coming out in the conversations around the situation was that the situation really had nothing to do with the emotion mm. and the response that I was feeling about the situation. The situation yeah. was irrelevant, but it came out that no, there was this tertiary unseen issue in the background, whether it was with a person or over something in the past or fill in the blank. Right. Right. And you don't even see it. it's in a blind spot. And it takes this shaking over here in this through this situation to bring that to light. And really, all of a sudden, you're not even dealing with this precursory situation anymore. You're dealing with the reality of what's really behind it. Yeah. Does that make? Does that? Speak no, that does make sense. But what? I, so, as a matured individual, sometimes you'll know that you're not right. I'll use that term. And I almost said, so you don't want to go taking that into places like the church house and, the, and, and demanding that they recognize what you have or what you do or whatever. But you know what? That may happen. I've even been a part of some of that. Uh, thank God I had other matured believers around me that could help me start. And maybe it even started from a position, you know what? You kind of going nuts here. What's going on? <laughs> and, and, fleshing it out god works like that he'll he'll use things around you to help you come through that and then so we're not i'm not talking about somebody that's addicted to drugs and just kind of nuts you know they can't focus they can't do any of that kind of stuff and that doesn't mean that god can't work inside their lives i've seen that a hundred times that's a whole nother story uh i'm talking about you and i as we're walking in our christian lives and you start going through this upheaval of stuff that you know that if somebody saw you doing it they'd probably judge you as especially if you're seen as a leader a leader so to speak whether you actually hold an office or not uh and and especially in some that real organized people are really they really fall to this I'm not saying you shouldn't be organized i'm saying that uh uh, you might be quick to point at something and say, well, instead of doing four, one, two, four, six, you need to do it one, two, three, four, and you wouldn't have any of these issues. And there may be some truth in that. 
but anyway, what it is that's working. So anyway, God will upend you to bring you to the place he's looking to get you. And to him, it's not upended. It's not chaos to him. It's orchestrated. He's working it. Because sometimes it's better to bring the ugly to the top, no matter how messed up it looks. And being able to look through that and see what's really transpiring. And that sounds right. Like everybody, well, that's how I want to be. And I agree with you. That's what I see. But when it's happening to you, that's because if you could see it, yeah. you're not God. Well, and, and some examples. And the Apostle Paul would say to his captors, okay, go ahead and kill me. I'll just go to heaven. I'll go be with the Lord. Or you can leave me alive. That's fine, too. I got things to do. Oh, you're going to beat me? Okay, well, that's fine, because I need to fellowship with his suffering, Philippians 3.10. They literally they didn't have a decision where they won. It was a lose-lose situation for them, but it was win-win for him because he lived so close to the Lord, he lived in this peace. Yeah. he was, cont And he says, I've learned to be content in whatever state that I have. And we, we translate that into our culture with our cultural eyes and say, oh, it meant he was okay being rich and okay being poor. Those are the words that he kind of used. Yeah, that's not what he meant, though. But the deeper meaning is, is it really doesn't matter, not whether I have money or I don't. What he's not saying is, is I, I can adapt and overcome. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is I don't really have a stake in the game of what position I'm in, financially yeah. or otherwise. He completely left that to the Lord. Whatever lot you want to give me, I'll take it. I've still got work to do, and I'll do it. And I'll do it from whatever position you leave me in. That's the piece. And the reason that that's important is because if we're operating under this idea that everything that to us looks disorderly is not of God, then we're not going to do some of the things that he's calling us to do because they are disorderly by our definition. They're disorderly by Man, nature. Man, are you... Whew. Now, I'll, I'll, Jonah's a good example. The orderly, outside-in looking thing was is these were a bunch of hellion, heathen, Babylonian-style Ninevites that we're going to get what they deserve. And we're not going in there because it's dangerous and they hate us and this and that. And God's saying, I want you to go anyway. It's the tip of the spear kind of thing. Go into this tribe. It's probably going to kill you. Well, that doesn't make any sense. If they kill us all, how are we going to teach them the gospel? Yeah. And you go anyway. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I've learned with walking with God and myself. Whatever it is that you hold on to for security, maybe money, it may be position, it may be whatever it is, and you don't even know it. Yeah. He is going to reach down on the inside of you if that's where you, when you lay yourself out to him. This doesn't always happen at once. I mean, I laid myself out to him a long time ago. And all through my walk, there's... <laughs> He reached down and pulled something out by the roots, and it hurts. Yeah. Because I, you know, I may be struggling with, oh, I didn't even know that, but I've not really let that go yet. Or I don't need, I don't want people to see that I haven't had to contend with something like that. So I, I'm going to keep that secret a while. 
Anyway, he has this way of pulling out. It, it's Hebrews 12 kind of stuff yeah. where he says that once again, I will shake the foundations of the earth and the only thing left is going to be eternal. And you can't read that. Uh, he does that all the time on an individual level, I think. He is going to do it, I think, in a physical sense down the road. Uh, and that doesn't seem orderly. How in the world could that... You have to lay out the plan. It has to be done on a step-by-step -step basis. There's nothing wrong with that in a planning sense. But God is not moored to that way of having to do it. We talked kind of beforehand talking about, you know, because the scripture does teach, consider the cost of the barn before you build it. I mean, you know, and, and so doing things in order is good and right and righteous and is stewardship and all of that. But there's this caveat that our understanding of what the plan is may simply be wrong. And he reserves the right to upend our plan. And other people moment. around you may see it as wrong, too. That's right. That, and that's what we, we tend to do. You know, people will be like, well... Well-meaning people. Yeah. If you would have just not homeschooled your kids, they wouldn't be awkward. <laughs> or or yeah. here's the one we've gotten. If we, We've had a mixture of both. And, I, and I'm using that because we've been in that world, you've been in that world, and you've heard those, and that's kind of a joke between us, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but... <laughs> Um, we we have we've homeschooled and we've public schooled, you know, with various degrees of success. But the people that I know that have been in both worlds, give it about ten years or fifteen years outside of that kind of deal, and all of the kids are pretty much in the same spot, yeah. and you know, and and it, and it works out in the wash. But if you don't do it just right in certain communities, boy, you didn't do it right. We I, oh I, heavens, I, yeah. I grew up in the if you're. Yeah. If you're preaching out of something besides the King James Bible, then you're preaching out of the devil's book. Yeah. And you're not going to find the Lord if you're doing that, you know. So using that as an example for everybody, not picking on what he was preaching, just, just the situation, right? So Psalm 50 says this about God. He says that this is verse 3, Psalm 50, in the middle of it. It says, fire devours before him and it is very tempestuous around him. Now, most people hear that, and they go, well, that's the sinners when they come in contact with God. That's not the context in this thing at all. Nope. From our perspective, it seems like a storm of the first order to get around him. And then you find guys like, we'll stay in the New Testament and talk about Paul. Peter's a really good one, too. When you read what they were like in the beginning and then you read what they're go doing yeah. later on, you see completely different people there. Yeah. And the God that they approach is still like this, but they're used to it. And they don't see it as a hindrance or something's wrong. It just is. It is. And they, they're, they're able, to, from a matured mindset, they're able to recognize and say, this is good. Well... Let's just give some biblical examples of, and what happens is, is when we come at it with our human presuppositions and start evaluating everything under human rule, under human law, human order, then we start having to classify everything. That's oh, right, it's yes. wrong, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John the Baptist. <laughs> yeah. The dude wore yeah. camel hair, ate locusts and honey. He was by the outside deal. He was a nut job, you know. I mean, we would look at, put it in, in, in modern circumstances. Yeah. 
Some dude walked up in a goat hair trench coat and, you know, a cricket leg hanging out of his mouth from breakfast. Well, from our perspective, he'd be like a homeless guy. Yeah, but it would be even more weird than that. It would be, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm talking yeah. like, he's functioning, going, he's teaching. There, He had disciples. So he was doing some of this normal stuff. A cult leader. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and so we immediately got to start putting him in classification. But Jesus said of him, ain't anybody any better. Yeah. And so... No man born of woman. No man born of woman is anybody. That's saying something. And and so the whole point is we come to discerning what God's doing, who God is, and how he operates. And we come to it with stuff in our pocket. We come to it with with baggage, as it were. John's disciples are a good example of that. That's I think. right. They'd already broken from the normal church, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and they're they're listening and following John and serving him and wherever circles he's going and doing, they're the guys in the background doing things to help him yeah. out. And then Jesus comes up on the scene and starts doing what he's doing. We've talked about this story. But they're the disciples, John's disciples are a really good example of where most of us are. You get stuck between this and part of it was because they had built in their mind, we got it figured out. Yeah. And this is the guy to follow. And then all of a sudden that fell apart. Well, they had imposed their sense of order onto what was happening. And and I'm handing I'm not beating them up. It no. took a big it took a big decision on their part to turn away from what would have been the normal church, so to speak. And I'm sure they had people beating them up and their family, you know, why are yeah. you doing that? Are you stupid? What the heck's the matter with you? Yep. And they focused on following what John was saying. So they, I think they were doing... They were Second Chronicles 16.9 kind of people. Yes, they were. I think they were. And they were doing the best they could. But So let's look at that from fancy terms. For them, that was a sanctification thing going on. Yeah. It, and it seems absolutely top-end, turvy. Yep. They're, in the, they're in the face of God during that transition right there is what's happening. And then, they, then they're, we leave them... Or they're like Wait, trying to figure John and, and watch this guy over here, and they're we don't know what happens to him in the end, but they could have fallen apart. You know, half of them go with Jesus, the other half well, just said that I can't take it anymore. And here's a good contrast. We'll have to land this out down pretty yeah. quick, but a good contrast of what the difference is in saying, Well, God is a God of I want to interject what I'm not trying to add to the scriptures, but here's how we interpret it. God is a God of order we can understand. Mm-hmm versus God is a God of peace. Yes. The disciples that were following John would have fallen under the category, if we were to categorize them, as they were functioning in an expectation of order that they understood. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's why And then I when Jesus up, comes good. on the scene and uproots that, John's response is an example of what it looks like to operate in peace and in shalom, or in this, not in shalom, but in the, in the peace of God, the contentment of the lot. Because when Jesus came on the scene and they're all like freaking out, everybody's going to see him. He's like, good. He's the one. That's what I've been telling you all along. Yeah. And he wasn't like, oh, no, y'all stay here. This is my deal. He had peace. His ministry was ending. All of his peace. He was. Well, I think he was in turmoil over that a little bit because he didn't know what to do. But in the end, he understood the base function of that's the guy over there. And so he's he's operating in this 
not a place of chaos. He's operating in a place of peace. All right, yeah. this doesn't look like what we expected, but it's okay because God's doing it. Versus, this doesn't look like what we expected. we got to make sure we fix it. And eternal peace doesn't mean that everything is completely tranquil. I think when Paul had was shipwrecked and he crawls up on an island and he gets bit by a poison snake, you're having to live in the... That wasn't tranquil at all. But he was able to keep his focus, not based off his own initiative. I think yeah. some of it was his initiative because God gives you that and you make a choice. Yeah. But he was able to grasp where he got it from. Just like Mary, when she, she remembered that conversation she had and she was holding on to it because she probably didn't understand it either. I never known a man. Right. Man, that had to have been a... Well, and, and I've been, uh, as a pastor, I can't tell you how many times well-meaning pastors and church leaders have told me, if your church isn't growing, it's dying. Yeah. And and they meant numerically. Yeah. And, you know, that, and, and I'm like, my retort has always been, what about the little guy that's out there? There's 25 people in the church. There's only 100 people in the town. And they're just being faithful to their to their congregation. They're not going to be setting. You know, you can go to the conference and they can tell you how to grow from 25 to 300 in two months or whatever. You can read the book. It ain't yeah. happening because there ain't the people. It ain't, yeah. ain't going to happen. So you're telling me he's not being faithful. Well, that's superimposing man's definition of order, man's definition of blessing, man's yeah. definition of faithfulness onto what God is saying yeah. versus that pastor saying, you know what? I may never have a hundred people. God gave me this twenty-five out here in the middle of nowhere. I, I went to an Indian reservation one time, and they had a little Baptist church out there on the reservation, and it had about thirty people. And man, it, it was all they could do to get those people. Yeah. But they had those people, and they were faithful to those people. And so to say that God's not moving, God's not there, God's not blessing because it doesn't fit the church model that we have, or it doesn't fit the growth model that we think we have to have, that's coming out of an erroneous place out of this text and saying God's a God of order. You're not doing things in order, or you would have more people. That's the man defining how God it's, works. It's man defining how God works. Yeah. Because God doesn't need our plan. He can add, <laughs> he can add 5,000 people to the church in one day without even blinking yeah. if he wants to. And he doesn't need our plan. I'm not saying we don't plan. I'm just right. saying that he no, doesn't I, need I it to function. He's not bound to it. And and so my, I always want to. What, what do we walk away from, with? What do we walk away with from this? You know, is what what do I what can the nugget that I can take, is number one. There's several. You need to study your scriptures and challenge what you think you know. Yeah, not what somebody else knows. What you know, think you know. Yeah, exactly. And and. Before, especially if you're teaching, before we start spouting things, you know, God's a God of order. Um, well, He is, but please don't come out of that text and just make that a blanket statement that everything that looks to us to be out of order is automatically wrong. Right. And because we 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 got we like to we like to paint with really large brushes, and really what we're doing is we're fitting our ideas. And making them God's ideas, trying to make them God's ideas by honestly taking context or scriptures out of context. But the second thing is, is don't dismiss what you don't understand. Yeah, that's in the good. in the context of order, my life's falling apart, or things just don't fit what I think they should fit. Instead of 
dismissing them or whatever, step back. Seek the face of God. That's why we always talk about that. Yeah. Because that's really the only way to know. What am I in? You know, where are we at? We, we, we don't have time to talk about it today, but the story of Jesus in the temple when he wasn't with the caravan, that <laughs> whole situation was fraught with disorder. <laughs> and Jesus caused it. Yeah. The God-man caused it. I mean, six-day delay. Actually, it would be a nine-day delay, really, because they went out three days, had to come back. That's six days to get back. And they should have been, by the time they got to the three-day mark, they should have been at nine days out. You know, so there, I mean, it was just huge deal. <laughs> Big and disruption. They, yeah, huge disruption. And they traveled in packs, so it wasn't just them. And and it was it was just this huge mess that looking at it from our standpoint today, we would be like, oh, if they would have just done this, 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 if they'd have had the checklist, if they'd have made sure, all of this stuff that we think that we maybe could do it better. But the fact of the matter is, is there was a lesson to, for you and I now in that old story of how God still works and how he yeah. deals with people and how people deal with each other and all this stuff to be learned. Well, in a simple mindset from a walking Christian, it's another thing to kind of take away from this. It's really easy to look at that story and go, but he's God, he can do what he wants. And that's exactly right. Yeah. But what does that mean in my walk and my perception and my understanding of the things of the kingdom? He can do that with you too. Right. And don't be just absolutely rattled when everything you're trying to do or think or do is, is just getting messed up or you're butting heads with everybody right. and everything under the planet. You may be doing that to make you sit back and, and look at him and go, all these people are saying I'm being like this, but I don't see it. If that's what happened, then it worked. <laughs> right. So that's the chaos. That's the stuff. To him, it's order. To us, it doesn't seem that way. So don't stop pursuing because it doesn't seem orderly. Right. And you know, at the end of the day, what we're always encouraging people to do is to just pursue the Lord, pursue the Lord, pursue the Lord, pursue the Lord. And that's what it means. And that, uh, and that's, that's, that's what, what we're trying to bring out, I guess. Don't stop pursuing him because you think you know what the order and the plan is supposed to look like. Because my guess is, the older I get, the more I realize that my perceptions of how the plan is supposed to look are almost always wrong. Or at least, they're not quite complete. Yeah. And, and that the encouragement is that God is a God of peace. That's what the text is trying to tell us. Yeah. Even in that particular context of the conflict in the body over prophecy, he's like, God's not bringing prophecy to you to cause grief. He's a God of peace and tranquility. Yeah, and they're helpful things, and so you know, don't don't freak out about it, and and just keep pushing through. So, love you guys. You got any parting words of wisdom? Have a great Christmas. Have a great Christmas. Stay warm. We love you. Talk to you guys later.